Biography and Comment, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Poems by John Clare. Biography and Comment by Norman Gale. Part 3. In 1828 Clare went to London again at the invitation of Mrs. Emerson, and it was then that he discovered how completely the shepherd's calendar had failed to stir the interest of the public. It was during this visit that Mr. Taylor, doubtless believing the open-air exercise would be most beneficial to the poet, suggested to Clare the advisability of his attempting to dispose of his works by carrying them from house to house in northamptonshire and the adjoining counties allan cunningham was furious at the idea but in the end clare embraced it though it had been better for him had he held the same opinion as his friend for the adventure was prolific of more kicks than halfpence. The history of this part of Clare's career makes very sad reading. Hungry and footsore, he tramped from rebuff to rebuff, pondering misery and dreading the workhouse. But through the record of his travels is, for the most part, a document of disaster. There are few proofs of kindliness contained in its pages. For example, when he returned to Helpstone from Boston, where certain of the leading inhabitants had done their best to render him extremely uncomfortable, he found ten sovereigns in his wallet. A few young men had treated him as Joseph treated his brethren. For three months after his experiences at Boston, Clare was exceedingly ill, and it looked as if there would be no ebbing of that tide of misfortune which had flowed in his direction for so long better luck however was in store clare got some regular work to do and was thus prevented from poring over footscap little by little he reduced his debts his body throve in the sunshine of content and he was able to comfort himself with the belief that after all he would escape the degradation of becoming a pauper unfortunately a hard winter followed the summer and autumn during which he had been so happy an illness once more caused him to renew acquaintance with those bitter familiars of his want and despair about this time he chanced to have a conversation with earl fitzwilliam with the result that his patron promised to build him a cottage somewhere near helpstone the exact place decided upon by his lordship was northborough a hamlet three miles distant from helpstone the situation was chosen in spirit of kindness the earl believing that many natural beauties to be found almost at the door of the cottage would please the eye as well as stimulate the genius of the poet 
but the prospect of being severed from the bleak surroundings of his native place filled clare with sensations of terror acute enough to make a severe effect upon his mind for days before the final wrench came he strode about the lanes and fields outwardly exhibiting symptoms of a deranged intellect but when the hour for departure struck he allowed himself to be led to his new home as placidly as a tired horse to the pasture so far from proving a blessing to clare the cottage at northborough was the immediate cause of fresh perplexities expenditure was necessary to finish it and to keep it in repair debts were quickly piled one upon the other among strangers it was harder to obtain employment than it had been at helpstone and in the january of eighteen thirty three patty bore her seventh child at the thought that he could scarcely provide his dear ones with bread enough to keep body and soul together clare shortly after hearing the news of his boy's birth rushed out into the fields to give his sorrow vent late in the evening his eldest daughter found him lying insensible on an embankment a month of bed followed this collapse in the spring although his vital forces were now sufficient to carry him in search of the early flowers he showed no inclination to leave the little room where he kept his books and papers the irresistible magnets of former years blossoms birds greenery and sunshine had all lost their pulling power clare himself perceived that he was in danger of ceasing to be his own master and accordingly wrote to mr taylor begging him to secure dr darling's help in reply his old publisher invited him to london but the poet neither had money in his purse nor a single chance of raising the amount necessary to defray the costs of the journey Messrs. Whittaker and Company, who were responsible for the appearance of the rural muse, declined to send him even a small sum on account, so that he was tied fast to Northborough, where his mental malady had everything in its favor. Had it not been for the untiring exertions of Dr. Smith, of Peterborough, who mingled poetry and pills in his advice to patients thus obtaining a goodly list of subscribers it is doubtful whether the rural muse would have made its appearance before clare was overcome by permanent imbecility in the summer of eighteen thirty five this beautiful collection of rustic reeds was put forward as a candidate for the affection of those professing a love for music and wholesomeness in verse the reception accorded to the book proved conclusively what important parts fashion and hypocrisy play in the concerns of the lyre clare was out of vogue he was a stale lion the parasites upon genius could no longer hope to gain a temporary notoriety by displaying his peculiarities in their saloons the idea of reading poetry for the sake of poetry appears never to have occurred to the members of a society as ponderable 
in the matter of intellect as thistledown and as variable as the sheen of an opal it is a moot point whether or no the reviewers wrote notices of the rural muse if they did their duty the editors certainly did not back them up by granting space for the criticisms for scarcely a paragraph of commendation saw the light if clare did not fall among thieves he at least fell among blind bats literary england blotted her own execution in the respect but scotland was saved from a similar disgrace by a noble outburst of praise for the poet and scorn for his frigid countrymen from the pen of professor wilson in the course of which he adjured the southerns to hold their tongues about the fate of burns let them remember bloomsfield had he but known all the evil circumstances that were combining to push john clare in the direction of a lunatic asylum his retort would have been strengthened to a degree melancholy to contemplate mental derangement advanced upon clare with rapidity in the spring of eighteen thirty six there was a brief period when the flowers made him a clear-minded partaker of their magic but the improvement was not maintained and a little by little the condition of the poet became more widely known till at last it reached the ears of several patrons these advised his immediate removal to the asylum at northampton a plan to which patty refused her consent for she still had hopes that if her husband were allowed to range at his will and seek a cure from the pharmacy of nature he would beat the disease but patty's love only delayed the inevitable clare it is true escaped from the control suggested by earl fritzwilliam who endeavoured to place the poet at northampton where a weekly dole from the nobleman's purse would secure for the patient some additional comforts but he had no whither to fly from the severe benefactions of the friends of former days mr john taylor and others willing to heed now that the catastrophe to which their silence had contributed was come by his full dimensions clubbed together and sent clare to dr allen's private lunatic asylum in epping forest where all the resources of a humane treatment were brought to bear upon his case he wrote a great quantity of verse some of which was of real worth tended the flowers in the garden beds wandered about the woods hour after hour smoking musing or conversing with some companion in the middle of july eighteen forty one he escaped and eventually reached warrington a hamlet lying beyond peterborough his chief food had been grass blood was trickling from his feet when patty took the wanderer into her arms on the roadside at Warrington. After a day's rest at Northborough, the poet asked for pen and ink. When these were supplied, he commenced to write his Odyssey. It is almost safe to say that no more extraordinary a document belongs to the personal history 
of any genius born within our boundaries it is of a character to draw tears from the unsympathetic your scrooge your quilp would scarcely withstand its pathos well might christopher north request us to be done with our comments upon scotland's usage of burns the rest is soon told clare though quite harmless was not allowed to pass free among the country sights and sounds for some reason or another he was hailed to the northampton general lunatic asylum where he remained for twenty-two years neglected alike by kindred by friends and by the educated mob which had once made an idol of him at the asylum he was treated with unvarying mildness by the authorities who refused to regulate the comforts of the poet by the eleven shillings a week supplied by earl fitzwilliam that their natures were not subservient to coinage they proved by placing clare poor eleven shillings a week john clare among private patients in the best ward the end came in eighteen sixty four and on the twenty-fifth of may in that year the mortal remnant of john clare peasant and poet was interred at helpstone when earl fitzwilliam was asked for a grant of the few pounds necessary for the burial of the poet in the churchyard so beloved by him during his lifetime he responded by suggesting that the funeral should be that of a pauper at northampton however a few friends of the right heart prevented this disgrace and the body rested where the soul had marked out for it a spot of greenery and quietude that some of clare's poems belong of right to the excellent things of this earth admits of no dispute a worshipper of nature by whom he was surely appointed to be one of her chief historians he reveled in her manifestations whether he showed in the higher heaven of blue or in the lower heaven of green he was if the phrases may pass muster a gossip of the rainbow a croony of the flowers his heart was not less slow than that of wordsworth to leap up with joy when he beheld standing across the sky its feet treading the horizon the most splendid triumphal arc ever devised and though it was not granted him to render homage to his mistress in such large accents as those which fell from the lips of his great brother in song he paid for her love and favors in music far from perishable as may be noted by all who will read the pieces that have been selected for this volume from the rural muse who passes by any one of these poems because he early finds a flaw does so at his own danger for each of them belongs as i venture to assert so undoubtedly to the particular treasures of pastoral poetry that i doubt whether the contradiction of our greatest critics could frighten me from the attitude of admiration to influences other than those of the countryside clare remained unimpressionable to be in london was too long for helpstone 
the commons and pools of which were more precious to the poet than all the glories of westminster abbey and the expanses of the artificial lakes while he sojourned in the metropolis the right spark would not fall from heaven but as soon as he wandered once more among the scenes so familiar to him the muse was his unfailing companion brooks glided in his songs birds and clouds and leafage were foundations without which he had been well-nigh powerless he understood and was content with his limits and so perfectly did he accomplish his duty as nature's cherished amanuensis that it is no hard task for a man with an ounce of imagination in his being to hear the trickle of streams and to fancy his study carpeted with grass while reading john clare's poems within four walls as this volume of selections is designed for the purpose of attracting readers to a poet whose appreciative receipts from his posterity are sadly deficient in quantity the publisher has thought well to ask from me the tale of clare's life rather than my views of the poet's work and its effect upon his successors in the production of poetry dealing almost exclusively with the vowels and consonants in nature's mighty alphabet enough has been said to prove the writer no half-hearted advocate and if these few pages serve to increase the number of clare's friends he will be more than satisfied happy in the thought that he has been the means of introducing readers to poetry as gentle as it is healing as simple as it is sincere touching its wholesomeness how could it fail to delight in this respect when the chief of its constituent parts were the large and lovely expressions of nature's handicraft john clare's gift fell upon him direct from the skies it came clean and clean he kept it from the beginning to the end of his stewardship norman gale end of part three recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c